Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to History Worth Repeating. L.P. Hartley wrote that the past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. My name is Barbara Brooks. And my name is Sonia Tiernan. Together, over this series of podcasts, we want to canvas wide aspects of the past, from individual stories to national histories, from political events to emotional tides. We believe that some history is worth repeating especially if those histories have been previously overlooked, ignored or not deemed worthy of entry into the history books. Welcome to episode two, Leaving Ireland for New Zealand. In this episode, we discuss a family who moved here from Ireland. So to begin, Barbara, could you give us a background of your Irish roots? When and why did your family move from Ireland to New Zealand? So my family left Dublin in 1951. Uh, My father was originally from Bantry Bay in Cork in the south of Ireland, and my mother was from Dublin, uh, and they had lived in Dublin from the, well, my mother, of course, all her life, but my father had moved there um, in the 30s, and so they began their married life in Dublin from 1939 and decided to move to New Zealand in 1951. Okay, so they weren't very young. We're not talking about kind of late teens, early 20s. No, in fact, by the time they decided to leave, they had two, three children, and actually my mother was pregnant with a fourth. So my father okay. was almost 40 when they decided to leave. Right, okay. So, and, and do you have a background as to why exactly, what inspired them to, to move? Well, it was particularly because my father knew of New Zealand because he had an uncle who had gone there as a very young man at about 16, Mm. um, around um, 1901, and we don't know what propelled that uncle to New Zealand. He was only 16 when he landed up here. Um, So it's kind of fascinating to think, how did he get here? And I need to find out more about that. But he had begun um, eventually... Uh, a warehouse business with two other men, and he had he was married, but he had no children of his own, and he was getting on and he knew my father had a training in the drapery trade, and right. he was quite keen that my father come out and take over the business okay so it 's quite interesting actually because in the first episode when we were talking about Irish people migrating here in the nineteenth century. That kind of chain migration was really important from the Irish perspective. Those who were more likely to come here if they already had family here. So this is essentially what happens with your family as well. And and did your parents attract more of their family over after that? Yes, they did. So my well, my uncle, my father's younger brother, um, and his family actually came with my parents. So. Okay. Um, they all moved together. And then when my mother's sister's family faced tragedy in Dublin a few years later in the 50s, uh, 
my father said, well, why don't you come to New Zealand? So they came to New Zealand too. Right. Okay. Mm. So we have a lot of brooks that end up. Oh, yes, we do. And in fact, that that original uncle, his brother and his sister all came to Christchurch. So, and they were all in business. So my aunt Betty, who I knew, Mm. uh, was a businesswoman and she ran a little hosiery and lingerie Store Fantastic. on Armagh Street in Christchurch. Fantastic. Which you do kind of think as well when it's called Armagh Street as well. Yeah, I know. And some kind of resonance with them as well of reminding them of Ireland when, you know. Yes. And there's, there's quite a few places around Christchurch called after Irish place names, I think. Yes. And she, she was, uh, I think, a successful businesswoman and... I would like to know more about her, how. Mm. I mean, she had worked in Skibbereen actually in a in okay. a, a general store, but yeah. dealt with drapery and goods like that. So, yeah. um, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And the, the, another thing that we discussed in the first episode was well, it was something that you had posed to me actually about whether Irish people stood out in the nineteenth century in New Zealand. So, do you think in the later twentieth century? Uh, like the mid late 20th century when your parents came over, do you think that they stood out because of their nationality? Well, they did because fortunately for me, one of my mother's dear friends and who's actually I'm now related to because um, her daughter married my cousin, um, was a great had a great interest in recording the goings-on of the Sumner Methodist community. Okay. And she wrote uh, a piece when my mother died about her fascination with this Irish family who had arrived and the kind of exoticness of it. You know, it doesn't seem exotic to us, but it was to her. Irish people are very exotic, Barbara. (laughs) (laughs) She was a Kiwi of many generations, so um, she was quite... Fascinated. They certainly stood out because of their accents, okay. which they never lost because they were, right. you know, older migrants. Yeah. And um, yeah. as terrible children do, I would be correcting their films and, you know, <laughs> their pronunciations <laughs> of things. I should be glad that you don't do that to me then. <laughs> so, but also, did your parents identify as immigrants, do you think? Or is this a label that was attached to them? So when you have that woman writing about, you know, this Irish family who yeah. moved into the area. But do you, or is that more of a modern interpretation that we kind of think of immigrants or, or migrants as being separate or othered sometimes? Yes, in I, I was fascinated by that question, really, because I, I don't recall them consciously thinking of it. But Sumner, where we grew up, was... There were a number of different communities. There were quite a few Dutch people who came out in the 50s as well. So I guess there was a consciousness that there were people who were new to New Zealand. Mm. And my parents had a network of Irish friends um, who must have shared that experience of coming. And they certainly were well connected to their Irish friends in Australia Mm. as well. But I I don't remember that language particularly ever being used. And when you say, because you've mentioned the Methodist community as well, and when you talk about these Irish friends, is that, was that network really important? That, you know, religious community, if you like? I I think more the church was really important so whether or not the members of the church were Irish didn't okay. matter so yeah. the the Sumner Methodist community uh, really was the focus of their social life and my father became a lay 
preacher and he was very involved in the Bible class movement mm. and uh, the Methodist Church actually built a house for my aunt when she came and was quickly widowed. Her husband died about a year after they came. Mm. Fantastic. And t- tell us about that house. Is that house still standing or what's happened to no, that No, so that house was a victim of the, of the Christchurch earthquakes. Um, but it was an amazing church community project that everyone was involved in. And <laughs> apparently my father... Um, said that there wasn't a wet weekend the year it was built and that was because someone up above was, you know, Fantastic. keeping his eye off. Yeah, that's such an Irish thing, though. I mean, that's the type of thing my mother says yeah, as well, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. it was meant to be yeah, because, you know, yeah. even the, the, yeah. the stars aligned in a sense and the weather was good. Yeah. Um, but that idea then as well, when you're talking about, obviously, with the Methodist and, and the, the religious community or the church community, what about um, how important was... Ireland to your parents when they moved over. So how much did they share with you about their life in Ireland or about Irish history and Irish culture? Is that something that they brought you up with? Not particularly. In fact, I was kind of interested how little I knew about Irish history when I began this project. Mm. So in a way, I think they shielded us from the troubles of the past and they were looking towards the future they, you know, they liked Irish music, uh, but not not to the extent that um, they played it particularly. They were more mm. uh, keen on hymns. But uh, you know, okay. I'm kind of, I'm kind yeah. of in- interested yeah. in the in it's the a bit way of a contrast between traditional Irish music and hymns. Yeah, yeah well, that's yeah. right. Yeah, uh, but I I guess I hadn't realised that some of the kind of Wesleyan hymns had particular meanings in a political context that I was totally unaware of. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, I knew they were Irish, and they had all these. F- snapshot photographs that uh, I was always really interested in and mm. I knew I knew that they had a sort of lively social life as part of their church in Dublin but I certainly didn't know much about Irish history mm. um, and I didn't learn to you know we didn't go to Irish you know, I didn't learn to do Irish dancing or right. anything particularly yeah. Irish. My mother was proud of the fact that she knew some uh, Irish language. I was going to ask you that because being from um, the inner city Dublin or even from the, the, the centre of Dublin, Irish, the Irish language at that stage wouldn't have actually been that um, as important as areas like Cork. So I would have expected yeah. your father to know more. No, Irish well, language. actually, mum seemed to have known a bit. I don't know whether it was yeah. part of the schooling. Well, it was part of the schooling, yeah, but yeah. I suppose it was whether it was seen as important sometimes, especially yeah. from people from Dublin. I know certainly yeah. my mother wouldn't have yeah, you know, no, seen Yeah, no, so mum was proud of her yeah. few Irish phrases. Good, yeah. yeah. So we'll be expecting to hear some of those by the end of this series, Barbara. <laughs> um, the the other th- when you start when you realise, and that is interesting. I think that's really interesting that you put it into that that perspective as well. That actually your parents were trying to move forward from the troubles, and they were leaving behind a lot of troubles. So when we were talking in episode one about you know, people coming over, you know, post famine in the in the twentieth century, of course, there was all those rebellions and. Um, eventual independence, civil wars, all of these different things in Ireland. So they're trying to move forward. But what do you think, or is there anything that surprised you about what you did learn then when you started looking into Irish history 
And I suppose about the Ireland that your parents left, was there anything that really kind of surprised you about that? Or shocked you, maybe? Well, I was particularly shocked when I found that four out of five Irish children born in the 1930s left in the 1950s. Mm. So the rate of immigration was very high. Um, And that, I think, was an indication of the poverty. Um, And I know... um, you know, so my father had been an apprentice to the drapery trade <laughs> as a boy, really, and he was always hungry. And so I knew about okay. uh, scarcity, yeah. I think. And uh, but so I, when I did the historical research around that, it was clear that it was it was hard to live in Dublin well. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly they would never have been homeowners, for example. Right. And uh, they got offered a bigger property by one of my father's bosses, and the only way they could afford it was if mum took in boarders, and she had at least three boarders. She had members of okay. the extended family, and she had her own small children and no washing machines. So she worked mm. very hard um, in order to to maintain the the rent on that property, mm. whereas when they came to New Zealand, they you know quite quickly actually owned a house, and then they okay. they moved forward in some the, from the right. you know right to the yeah. Esplanade, which is the most prestigious part of Sumner by the Beach. Beautiful, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I only recently visited Sumner a few weeks ago, and it is absolutely a stunning place to live. So yeah. you can't imagine going from that dreariness of Dublin and, and the environs of the of the city and the poverty yeah. to a place like Sumner that was bright and light and the sea beside you. So yes. it must have been an extraordinary an extraordinary change for them and for your mother as well to be able to have the children outside. Side, yes, she was always things. encouraging us to go and get suntans, which is not yeah, probably <laughs> we not wouldn't encourage, them, <laughs> especially with Irish skin, yeah, you know, know. that fair skin. But yeah. Um, yeah, no, she. I think they both did love Sumner, and it it very much became our community because my uncle and aunt lived there as well, and eventually yeah. my. Um, my father brought my grandmother in her 80s out from Bantry and his profoundly deaf sister, stepsister. She was in her 80s, your mm. grandmother at that mm. stage. Mm. And the passage must have been very difficult as mm. well. Not that mm. I'm saying somebody in their 80s can't travel, but it's not like yeah. boarding a couple of planes. You know, yeah. It was still sea passage, was it, at that well, stage? Well, I think or? when she came... Actually, oh, no, that's later. Uh, yes, I think, I think they probably did come by... Plane, but that yeah. might have been the first time she'd flown. It must have right. been a rather extraordinary thing, actually. Yeah, yeah. I'm right. not sure about that. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. The other thing is because when we're talking about that kind of difference between moving from Dublin over to Sumner, have you considered, and especially through this project and looking at your family, how? your life could have differed if your parents had stayed in Ireland? Because obviously if they stayed there, the odds were that you were certainly going to stay there, you know, into your early adulthood anyway. So have you considered what difference your life would be then? Well, this is such an interesting question because my my eldest brother, who's 15 years older than me, uh, thought about this. And he's a Methodist minister who's worked in Ireland a a couple of times, actually. He's gone over for a few years at a time. Okay. So he feels at home in yeah. either, either place. And uh, he says, you know, our, some of our cousins uh, did quite well and one of our cousins is a Trinity graduate. So maybe if 
we'd stayed. Yeah. Um, I might have gone to Trinity. Actually, that was my parents were very excited and thought that I might go to Trinity. And really? I, yeah. So when I came to university, I applied uh, mm. to Trinity um, and they thought that would be like the epitome of greatness. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, but the Trinity wanted me to repeat in the, the first year because I think it was a four-year degree as opposed to our three-year right, or something. Okay. So yeah. I didn't, I yeah. didn't go. But um, so maybe we would have done all right. But me as a historian, I don't think I would have been doing the kind of work I ended up doing in feminist history. I, it's mm. hard for me to judge mm. what the intellectual climate. Mm. was at university then, but, um, you know, I went from here, encouraged to do women's history here in 1976, and then I went to the States, which was absolutely the hothouse yeah. of feminist history at that time, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, there certainly would have been, I mean, there was certainly um, women who are, you know, of an older generation that were working on women's history that obviously would have been only too delighted for you to come along and try yeah. to help them out. But there were there were few and far between. And, yeah. you know, um, yeah. we've still got those women like Mary Cullen and Margaret McCurton still working on it, who are now in, you know, certainly, well, I suppose I shouldn't be saying their age, but well into their 80s, you know. Um, but <laughs> older it was than very di- Well, well older than you, Barbara, well older than you. Yeah. Um, but they found it very difficult to break into that. And to break into that from an institutional basis within a university yeah. was extremely difficult as well. So Yeah, I, well, I, yeah. you know, I went, uh, so in 1977, after my first year, um, well, 78 actually, after my first year at Bryn Mawr in the States, I went and met my parents in Ireland. Right. And I took a ferry across and I was, um, I... You know, my backpack was searched and everything, and there was quite a. Yeah. And I realised the fact that I worked on abortion was not a very okay um, comfortable mm. subject to be mentioned. Mm. Uh, so, which has only been decriminalised a few months ago. That's Ireland, right. So, so you know, yeah. my my first book was on abortion in England. So, mm. uh, and it was really a history of crime. So, I don't think that subject would have been um, no. Uh, accepted, but I guess that you know the other thing I thought about that is I'm not sure my father could have become uh, a business manager owner in the way that he did in New Zealand. Mm. You know there was that openness that well he had a particular opportunity because of his uncle, but he he also took it and took it in a specific direction, mm. which was very good for him. In the 60s and 70s. So he was a manufacturer of, of women's nightwear. Mm. And there was a, a big demand for that because at that time New Zealand had very strict import controls. Okay. So clothing was actually quite expensive in New Zealand. And most people were home sewers. Right. Um, and uh, so his business thrived. Um and you could buy Brooklyn garments throughout the country. Yeah, so tell us, what, what was the name again? Brooklyn Garments. Brilliant. Okay, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So I'm sure many people listening to this will actually remember that. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. worked there one summer and, you know, the knack of getting <laughs> folded garments into plastic bags it always yeah. eluded me. I never once made a bonus. <laughs> 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 yeah, but I mean, that is, and I think you really hit on something so different because for the difference between your what would happen to your entire family 
by the fact that your father would have been most probably working for somebody else, else. Yeah. all of the time yeah. in Ireland and yeah. possibly not doing or not being able to, uh, you know, express this kind of different business ideas that he would have had. Yeah. But that he was allowed to do that, that actually has an impact on the entire family, I would think. Actually. Yeah, no, I, I think it really did. So, um, And it's not just about the money that we're talking no. about, the difference in life. It's Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, so my eldest brother went to university with the idea that he would go into the business. So he originally did a, um, a Bachelor of Commerce, but he then uh, decided to mm-hmm. go into the ministry. So he and I, the youngest and the eldest, both went to university and the others had various other types of training and jobs. But, yeah, I think there was an openness that did allow mm-hmm. him to develop his business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's um, the the other um, thing. I was struck as well that in a recent talk that you gave at Toy Two Settlers Museum, you mentioned that our future is tied to our past. Uh, so, is this really why? Tell us a little bit more about that, and why is that? Why possibly that you're interested in your own family history? Do you think that your future and your present is tied into your past? I do think that. I mean, I'm interested in the way that families tell stories about themselves. And in my family, um, there's a story of dispossession and forced migration with my husband's uh, Jewish-German family. Mm. And so that that is such a, a terrible story, and it meant the decimation of most of his family that uh, the Irish family story for my sons has kind of not been told much. Right. So I found it yeah. really interesting to think about uh, what it had given me and how it had informed me. And I was really pleased that my son could come to my talk so he could learn a little bit. I mean, he knew my mother really well. Okay. So um, yeah. they always know about that Irish link. So I I guess when I went to Ireland myself, I felt very at home. I felt very welcomed, actually. And I, apparently I, my, my father-in-law said, you know, there were millions of girls in New York who looked just like me, you know, all those <laughs> Irish girls, which yeah. didn't feel very flattering at the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, yeah. um, I'm sure that was still a compliment, though, of course. Yeah. So um, uh, I do think... That um, our past shapes us in in certain ways, but I, what I found most interesting was thinking about the uses of history and my parents, you know, in a way creating a new history for us by coming to a new yeah, place. Absolutely, and and that seemed to me to be worth repeating. Absolutely, it is, which is the perfect um, line to end on because that is why history is worth repeating. FM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.